this afternoon, so if you didn't get those, they are in the back or to the side, so if anybody needs the notes, <laughs> there's plenty of people moving around, so just slip your hand up if you're unable to get back there, and uh, slip your hand up now, you get one chance, or Melanie's going to sit back down. Everybody else got them? All right, so there are notes, and like I said, I'll take uh, the next 15 minutes or so uh, this afternoon to teach on communion, the Lord's Supper. Why do we practice it? What does it mean? What does the Bible say about what we call communion or the Lord's Supper? Uh, Lord's Supper? I prepared and preached several messages on communion in the past. Uh, but in my study, I came across a pamphlet on communion that uh, was very well done and very helpful to me. So what I've done is adapted it so that I can present it to others. So if you think, boy, is this clever, it's not me, okay? <laughs> I stole it, uh, but I'm telling you I stole it, so that makes it okay. It's when you, it's when you don't tell people that you stole it uh, that makes it bad. So anyway, uh, I've kind of adapted it so that I can teach it to you all. And hopefully, these are all things that you should probably know already, so hopefully you do. But hopefully, this just solidifies these truths in your heart and mind. So, like I said, I only plan on going about 15 minutes, so we weren't, aren't going to be able to get through the entire lesson today, uh, but we will probably be able to finish it later. So, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 if you want to follow along, this is a, ver a chapter that we often run to. Uh, you've heard it read, I'm sure, at Lord's Supper before. Uh, Pastor Hubby likes to read a passage out of Luke. Um, but 1 Corinthians 11 is a very familiar Lord's Supper passage. So we're going to look at that passage, and then we'll get into our uh, study together. It says, verse 23, For I have received the Lord of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set at order when I come. Christ instituted two ordinances for his church. What's an ordinance? It is something Christ specifically commanded us to do as a church. And those two are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of those point to Christ. They remind us of the great price he paid for our salvation. Baptism reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. 
communion, the Lord's Supper reminds us of his sacrifice on the cross. We do not refer to these ordinances as uh, Bible-believing Baptists as sacraments. Why? Because they don't do anything to accomplish our salvation. They in no way pay for our salvation. We're, we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith, as the Bible teaches. And so when we come together to observe the Lord's Supper, we're not doing it in order to receive salvation, but rather to remember our Savior who has purchased our salvation already. So, for example, under the teaching of the Catholic Church, when a priest will issue the wafer and the wine of communion, the recipients, the receivers of that communion, believe they are receiving Christ's body and blood. They call that transubstantiation. They believe that those elements transform into the body and blood of Christ. And they believe that this plays a part in their salvation. But you can't find that taught anywhere in Scripture. The Bible gives an entirely different teaching on the Lord's Supper. It was first given by Jesus to his disciples on the night he was betrayed to be crucified. And knowing that he was soon about to give his life to be the payment for our sins, he just gathers his disciples together in the upper room, and we call that the Last Supper. This occurred during Jewish Passover, which commemorated, if you remember Passover, it commemorated the deliverance of Israel from the bondage in Egypt there. Exodus 7-12 through 12 records all the plagues that God released on Egypt when Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn. In one night, the death angel will go through all of Egypt and kill every firstborn, every firstborn child and every firstborn animal. But God made provision by which the Hebrews could be spared from this plague. They were to kill a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and apply the blood to the doorposts of their houses. And God promised when he, the death angel, seeth the blood upon the lintel, and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come unto your houses to smite you. God literally passed over that house, and that's where the Passover feast comes from. Redemption has always been about substitutionary blood sacrifice. Not through receiving sacraments, not through keeping religious traditions, but through a sacrificial blood sacrifice, a substitutional blood sacrifice. So when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his apostles on that last Passover night, he was literally hours away from giving his own body to be broken and his own blood would be shed to pay the costly price as our substitute for our sin. So he wanted the apostles and the future church leaders to remember the sacrifice he was about to make. So he instructs them in Luke 22, verse 19, this do in remembrance of me. So it's not a sacrament, it's a remembrance. It's a time of remembrance. The elements, which we use bread and juice, do not save. They do not impart some special aspect of God's grace. They cause us to remember or to ruminate, meditate on our Savior. So some questions and answers about the Lord's Supper 
that often come up. One is, how often should the Lord's table be observed? Well, some pastors observe, observe the Lord's table once a year. They reason because Christ instituted it on Passover. Passover is an annual event, so we are going to have it one time a year. Other churches have the Lord's Supper a few times a year. Here, we do it every single month. Uh, in my previous church, we did it every other month. In Scripture, the emphasis of the Lord's table is not on its timing, but rather as a reminder of Christ's sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 11, it simply says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Uh, scripture leaves it open for the pastor and the church to decide when, how often they're going to do it, but as oft as ye do it, this do in remembrance of me. So there's no right or wrong way there, just as often as ye do it, we are to do it in remembrance of the Lord. Where should the Lord's table be observed? Well, the church is a called-out assembly of believers. Think about when Jesus instituted the Lord's table on that last Passover night. He gathered his disciples together. He called those men. He instructed those men, and he told these men, this do in remembrance of me. So the very first Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, I guess, however you want to call it, was a group of believers together. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a local church, a called-out group of, of, of Christians, and he gives uh, quite a lot of instruction regarding the Lord's table and how they as a church should observe it together. The institution of communion was to the early called-out assembly, the church. The instructions regarding communion were given to the body of Christ, the church. Therefore, the Bible teaches that it is for the local church to observe together. You can search the scriptures. You're never going to find anywhere where communion is, is observed in a universal or global church-type setting. It's always a local gathering of believers coming together. Why do we do it? Well, we don't observe the Lord's table simply out of tradition. We do it because we are instructed to as believers. I, I like to make a habit of telling everyone that, listen, we base our beliefs and our practices on the teachings and principles of Scripture. There are reasons, biblical reasons, for what we do. And understand what I mean when I say this, but I don't give tradition a lot of weight in the church because I truly believe we do what we do because the Bible says so, not because, well, that's the way we've always done it. And it's healthy for us to evaluate ourselves with the Word of God and base what we do on what it teaches. We have a biblical reason for what we do together as a body of believers. And I believe we can and should have traditions. There are traditions involved in the way we observe communion together. But there's Bible reasons for those traditions. There's biblical principles that are communicated by those traditions. So what are we responsible to do as a church body, as believers? We're to teach what those things mean so that they don't just become empty repetitions. Why do we do Lord's Supper this way? Why do we have services like this? 
Here's the reasons behind it. Otherwise, it's just empty tradition. But there are biblical reasons we do these things. And then notice that as Paul instructs the church in Corinth on administering the Lord's table, even Paul was not sharing his own ideas. He starts off saying, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. This is what Jesus told me, and so I'm giving it to you. This was what Christ had instructed him to teach. In 1 Corinthians 11, there are three purposes of the Lord's table. We'll get to one of them today. It's to remember the Lord, to revive his church, and to ready us for his coming. To remember the Lord, to revive his church, and to ready us for his coming. So notice, first of all, to remember the Lord. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. You probably know this already, but your life is full of things that compete for your attention. From projects and deadlines at work, to needs at home, to news reports, to hobbies and other interests, life is constantly competing for your attention. The technology of our day adds its own set of distractions. It blinks, it beeps, it buzzes, and there's fear of missing out. You know, We have all of this information and communication at our fingertips, and we are very distracted. The Lord's Table is an opportunity for us to pull away from every distraction and focus our attention solely on Christ. To remember the Lord is a purpose of the Lord's Table. We're to remember the Lord through the bread. The bread symbolizes Christ's body. It symbolizes Christ's body. Sometime before the Last Supper, Jesus had already said in John 6, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And Jesus uses the bread at the Last Supper with his disciples to symbolize the fact that his body would be beaten and crucified and broken. In that day, we're talking about, as we use here, unleavened bread. So when he broke the bread, it would have snapped. This is my body, which is broken for you. We remember the greatness of his sacrifice for us. And as we take the bread, it reminds us that Christ's body was broken on our behalf. Matthew 26, verse 26 says, As they were eating... Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. We won't get into this this afternoon, but the cross was brutal. And God in the flesh hung on the cross. His body was beaten by Roman whips. There were nails driven through his hands and his feet. There was a crown of huge thorns implanted into his brow. His body was literally torn to shreds. His visage, the Bible says, was beyond recognition. You couldn't even recognize him, the Bible says in Isaiah 52. Every joint was out of, his, out of its socket. The bread reminds us that Christ's body was literally broken for us. 
This was a supreme sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53 says of Jesus that he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes or wounds we are healed. The bread symbolizes Christ's body that was broken for our sin. The cup, the cup, and the juice in the cup, rather, symbolizes his blood. It symbolizes his blood. In Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, it says, He took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The blood that flowed from Jesus' broken body on the cross was the blood of the infinite, eternal payment of our sins. Christ was conceived of the Spirit. He came to earth as the Son of God. He was God in human flesh. He lived a perfectly sinful life in that human flesh. And he was tempted in all points like we are, but the Bible says he was without sin. The blood of Christ is the perfect payment for our salvation. We are justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. Romans 5, 9, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Had Jesus not shed his blood, we would not be saved. We are justified by the blood. We are washed in the blood. We are washed in the blood. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. As the song says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are washed in his blood. We are purchased by his blood. Acts 20 verse 28 says, take heed thereto unto yourselves, or therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Christ purchased the church with his own blood. What a high price he paid for each and every one of us. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. It also reveals the tremendous value that Christ placed on the church. He purchased it with his blood, and we are redeemed by the blood. Redeemed by the blood. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Don't you love the song? Calvary covers it all. All. Redeemed by the blood. Forgiveness for sins can't be obtained by water in the baptismal tank. Or by church membership. Or by good works. Christ has redeemed us through his blood alone. And the juice reminds us that without the shedding of the blood of Christ, there would be no hope, no help, and no way to heaven. Salvation is available because Jesus gave his body to be broken and because he shed his blood to pay for our sins. And if you put your faith in what Christ has done for you on the cross, according to the word of God, you are declared righteous by a holy God. Salvation has nothing to do with what you have done. 
The Lord's table reminds us it has everything to do with what He has done. Don't ever become weary of meditating on Christ's sacrifice for us. The Lord's table should not be done out of duty or grudgingly. Heaven forbid we think, oh, it's Lord's Supper today. Because the great and overwhelming purpose of the Lord's table is to remember the Lord and the love that He expressed for you on the cross, allowing His own body to be broken and His blood to be shed. Why? For my sin and for yours. And so the Lord's table is a time for you to focus all of your attention, your gratitude, and your adoration on Christ. It's to remind us to help His church remember Him. So, as Jesus said, remember me. Remember your Lord today. Pastor.